It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. It's Friday, so coming straight ahead, we'll have our Clark Stink segment. And later, bad news for people who have cut the cord, who want their local channels. Lowcast is gone. I'm going to tell you what to do now that you can no longer receive local channels through it. And I know for the last 10 days in the media, almost by rote, they've been doing these lookbacks to September 11th, 01. And this is a day that for me was a day of significant change in my life for the rest of my life. And it's one that I still remember where I was when I got a phone call from you, Krista, telling me that a plane had flown into one of the towers at the World Trade Center. Do you remember the first question I asked you when you told me that? I asked, what's the weather in New York right now? And you said, perfectly clear skies. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah. And that's when it was clear there was terrorism. And it took, you know, a while to figure out that this was the ugly, ugly Al-Qaeda conspiracy to try to bring down the financial center of the United States and the governmental center of the United States. And I still think often of the passengers on United Flight 93 who knew that the fate of either the White House or the U.S. Capitol building was in their hands and with unbelievable courage took on the hijackers on that flight. And unfortunately, they perished in a field in Pennsylvania, but they showed the kind of courage that ordinary people somehow have well up in them. And I am forever grateful to them. And I'm grateful to all the men and women of the U.S. military who went to fight for our country following September 11th in Afghanistan and how ironic that in the midst of all this, we have uh, left Afghanistan. And then later on with Iraq, I mean, the, the men and women who volunteer to serve in the U.S. military mean so much to me. I want to say to something to you if you're under 30 years of age, this thing that happened 20 years ago and affected older Americans so much is something that's still hard for you to be able to find a place for and process. But you got to understand that that day started a sense of fear and insecurity in the United States that still resides to some extent inside so many of us. And so the key is what do you do to protect our country or to make our country better? I mean, how do you take a tragic, horrific event like the terrorist attacks that visited our shores on September 11th, 20 years ago, and how do you do something positive with it and out of it? It's where you make our country stronger. That's why I'm so grateful to those that step forward and step up. Now, in a small way, I've done some of that over these 20 years and that I enlisted in my state guard 20 years ago and continue to serve now. And it's been a great opportunity for me to be able to do something 
for my state and my country. And I encourage you to do what you can for our great nation. And one thing that I would say to you, one thought I'd leave to you before we get into opposite land, which is Clark Stinks, the most important thing I think is we need to learn to be kinder to each other again. One thing that troubles me is that we have a tendency these days in the United States to look on others among us with suspicion, where the reality is the enemy is outside the United States. Our fellow Americans we may have disagreements with, but the enemy of our country are people overseas. When we treat each other as enemies instead of opponents or adversaries, but as enemies, we weaken our nation. And one thing we found after September 11, 20 years ago, is the strength that we collectively have. And yes, we were delivered a body blow by Al-Qaeda, but we didn't whimper away. We fought back. That's the thing, is countries stay strong as long as they're united. We are the United States of America. We need to remember that and get back to that. And having said that, I want to tell you that now is time for Clark Stinks. It's where you guide me, give me advice, uh, correct me where I've made a mistake, whatever. And Krista goes through your posts at clark.com slash Clark Stinks and shares her favorites with you. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Since you became a podcast entertainer only, the number of questions you've gotten to have been cut way back. So please either lengthen your podcast time or quit being such a windbag in your opening monologue and during your information segment halfway through the podcast. You just keep going on and on and on during these segments. I would rather you answer more questions from your listeners as they have more relatable questions than your rants. Thank you, Trucker Jeff. Jeff, thank you. You know, we do talk about this is how much information I should give in in an opening monologue as you referred to it in the info pod halfway through the podcast and do more questions less of that and that is a very good suggestion something we have actively talked about so we'll see over time how I handle that and I apologize for being a windbag <laughs> I think Clark is being a little bit disingenuous in his disgust for the mega banks. First off, for many people, the retail divisions of these banks are perfectly suitable, and many of the accounts are fee-free with direct deposit. Overdraft fees, of course, apply, but they apply at credit unions, too. You, Clark, are reaping the rewards of these large banks when you redeem your credit card points or cash back. It seems you're happy to trash them, but just as happy to use them, James. James, I love it. It's like, I feel like one of my kids pointing out when I'm a hypocrite. So I addressed the credit card thing before is that when you have a credit card from one of the giant monster mega banks, the two that are really aggressive and large players in credit cards are Chase and City. And with credit cards, there's not a lot the banks can do to mess with you. There is a lot they can do, though, with a checking account. So your point is valid if you have an arrangement where you have a fee-free checking account. The only real issue comes if there becomes a dispute 
with the bank with something with your checking account. And if you've never had a problem or if, when something's come up, they've resolved it well, then ig- ignore my disgust with the giant monster mega banks and continue to use them. Many people rack up debt and take out credit cards on your advice to build credit, but don't have the means or discipline you and others have to keep them paid off. Playing the points game with credit card companies isn't great for everyone and really most people because the game is stacked against people and predatory in nature. I've played the game and stopped using cards several years ago and life is so much simpler. I really do appreciate all of your consumer education and research you share. I just think pushing the use of the credit card points game stinks. Cliff. Cliff, thank you. And I talk out of both sides of my mouth on this too. I mean, this is the Clark hypocrisy session because truth be told, when people carry plastic, there's a different issue, Cliff, and it's that they spend more money with plastic than they would if they were just using cash they already have on hand. It's just a nature of a human being that it doesn't feel like the same spending with a credit card as it does particularly using cash. Debit cards, the jury's out on whether or not debit card spenders are more responsible with their spending than people who use cash. I believe that cash is the best way to create real discipline in spending. And when I say cash, I mean actual money you peel out of your wallet. So you are right that if somebody puts themselves into a financial hole by using credit cards, it's a real problem. But I would never want you to eliminate all your credit cards. I would want you to put them in the deep freeze. Literally get a freezer bag, fill it with water, put the cards in it, seal it, and throw it in the freezer so that you maintain open credit lines, which are important for what you end up paying for auto insurance, other forms of insurance in most states, and also is key when you want to apply for a car loan or a mortgage is that you show active credit going on in your life. Clark, you are our favorite, so I was surprised to hear you say this. When discussing Tennessee's free community college issue and the student who chose not to attend classes and then received a bill, you seem very sympathetic to him. I'm personally torn because one, free community college is a myth because it is we, the taxpayers, who pay for this kid's free ride. Two, if the student chooses not to attend classes and fails, that is an excellent life lesson to get a bill from the college for being a sluggish no-show. Clark, you don't stink, but I have to admit there was a faint, noxious odor that I detected, Janice. Janice, thank you. I That one troubled me, too, how I handled that situation. And yes, it is a great example of logical consequences. So I would say that I should have been more in the school of, hey, you didn't take advantage of this free opportunity. You're getting billed for it. And that is a reasonable decision of the state of Tennessee if they offer you free education. And you are also right that somebody's paying. I, I remember something a friend of mine always laughs about when uh, a man on the street thing, somebody was asked, well, who should pay for this? And somebody said it was a government benefit. And somebody said, well, the government should pay half of it and taxpayers should pay the other half. <laughs> Meaning people really don't understand the government is us and the dollars that fund it come from us. 
Hi, Clark. I thought your reply to the guy who got stuck with a damaged used car could have been better. That was the car that he said was held together with zip ties and needed a $2,000 repair. You said he had no recourse. I just wonder if that might be a good time to do a little sidewalk picketing at the used car dealer. Words like ripoff don't tend to bring in customers. Maybe then they would take the car back and refund his money. John. John, uh, I have actually recommended the picket from time to time in front of a car dealer. You have to call your local authorities, typically the city or county police or sheriff, find out the rules on doing an information picket in front of a business where you have to stand, that sort of thing. And don't put anything on the sign that says these people are crooks or anything like that. Just uh, say, hey, before you buy here, ask me my story first or something like that. And be very, very mindful of what you say because they'll probably send somebody with a recording device to see if you say something slanderous. You can only say what actually happened to you. Clark, you don't stink, but how about dedicating the entire Friday show to Clark Stinks? 15 minutes a week isn't enough for me. We could learn so much more from each other if you spent more time on it. Please consider it. Thanks, Carl. Carl, uh, I love your sentiment. You know, when Clark Stinks started, it was uh, basically just a sounding board on Clark.com, what was then called ClarkHoward.com. And we went to an occasional segment where we would have them on the show and it became so popular that it ended up being a weekly feature and historically we have kept it as half of one episode per week. What's that smell? Burning asphalt on a hot day? Oil and antifreeze vaporizing off that engine block? No, it must have been the stank coming from you while you were singing the praises of Ford's build-to-order system. I was shocked to hear how much you supported the new business model. Do you think the manufacturers or dealers will pass any of the cost savings on to consumers? They currently aren't, so I think that's extremely doubtful. The manufacturer's incentives that will be eliminated will lead to higher out-the-door prices across the board. I would have expected that you would be disappointed that there will no longer be that vehicle that's been sitting on the lot for 200-plus days that would be deeply discounted. That has been a way for buyers to get a fantastic deal, even if it doesn't exactly match their preferences. The only upside I can see is motivating the more savvy consumers to buy used and possibly less haggling. We're being conditioned now to think MSRP is a great deal. I don't see how we come out of this with anything other than a win for the car industry and a loss for consumers. Byron. Byron, anytime you build where you just build on spec, what you think people are going to want, you end up with, like at Sam's Club, the 91s and Costco, the 97s. You end up with the items that they guess wrong and end up on clearance. And the savvy shopper who buys the clearance item gets a steal of a deal buying below Sam's Club's cost or Costco's cost. And so your example with the car lot is the same thing. Dealers pay what's known as flooring charges for every day a vehicle sits unsold on their lot. Big interest charges that they're paying. They have to pay for that huge amount of property and maintain all that. Have all that inventory is a frightfully expensive thing. For the manufacturer, building things that end up not being what the consumer wants is just a terrible circumstance. You know, we're in completely unusual territory right now with the shortage of new vehicles for sale. Do you know, normally, 
a dealer considers and a manufacturer considers to be a perfect supply having 60 days worth of unsold vehicles sitting on asphalt around the country. That is bonkers and has an enormous cost to everybody in the process. So your point is that if you uh, build to order, that it would just cost the consumer more money overall, not less. The reality is you squeeze thousands of dollars out of the cost of vehicle production, distribution, and sale if you build only what people have specifically asked for and you don't end up with all this inventory sitting on lots. And the car market is so competitive with so many different brands out there that I believe that you won't have to worry about profiteering if we do build to order. Because let's say Ford decides, hey, you know, we're just going to charge people several thousand dollars more for our vehicles because we got them over a barrel. They have to wait till we build it. We're in control. We're in charge. No, because we're in a highly competitive market, the most competitive for vehicles since maybe most of the last hundred years. So I'm not worried about that at all. But Byron, it is true. It's just like when I go rent a car and I don't buy any of the rip-off pseudo insurance they sell, I'm being subsidized by the other people who buy that stuff. In your example, if I buy the unloved vehicle, which I've done many times, I'm being subsidized by the people who pay too much on the lot for the vehicles that have all these options they didn't want. Coming up next, if you are one of the people who loved Lowcast, you probably know you can't access your local channels anymore. I've got an alternative for you to watch those local channels, whether you were a Lowcast customer or not. We've received so many questions about Lowcast in the past week. So I'd like to start, Krista, with you reading one of the questions that we've had posted about Lowcast. Sure. This one's from Mary. She said, Clark, what happened to Lowcast? Oh, no, our beloved local TV stations are suddenly off the air. And then you just did Clark Stinks. There were a couple just saying, you said Lowcast would be great, and now it's gone. Lowcast was great. It would have continued to be great, except the greedy television affiliates and broadcasters hated it, hated it, hated it. Okay, so the background is people cut the cord from the cable monster for those overpriced pay TV packages or get rid of DirecTV and Dish Network for getting traditional, let's call it, broadcast and cable fare. There became a gap in the market, and that's how do you get your local channels? How do you get your ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, PBS, and miss any other affiliates? Is there still like the CW, that kind of <laughs> stuff? Anyway, whatever. So Lowcast was a nonprofit organization that made available to people local channels in markets serving most of the U.S. population, not all of it, but most of it. And all the big players in television truly 
this was David versus Goliath, went after him with really high-priced lawyers and all that, and got a judge to issue an injunction that put Locast out of business, which is funny to say a nonprofit got put out of business because you may not be aware of this. If you are a local network affiliate, let's say you're an ABC affiliate in Philadelphia or an NBC affiliate in Los Angeles or wherever, you are able to charge a ransom called carry fees to people to retransmit your signal, the cable operator, satellite, whoever. And so this is a huge revenue stream for the local affiliates of the broadcast networks. Now, if you think about where how television started and all that, you have the legal right to hook up an antenna at your house and get the local channels for free. If you go back to the old days of television, people used to have these big antennas on their houses, and that's how they got their local channels, and you didn't pay anything for it. Well, the broadcasters and the broadcast channels came up with the idea, their, their affiliates, have, hey, you know what? What if we are able to get legal authority to charge retransmission fees and create a new stream of income. And so that's what they were able to bring about, and that's how they're able to charge all these fees to whoever you get your local channels from. Well, Locast was like, hey, all we're going to do is we're going to make available to people for free their local channels by using a big antenna to pull it down, and then we'll send them that signal over the internet. And if you want to donate money to us, fine. If you don't want to, don't. And it turned out about three quarters of Locast subscribers were paying some kind of charitable donation to Locast to get their local channels. And the others were just getting it for free as they could because it was from a nonprofit. Well, the court said, nope, nope, we don't like this. You're done. So now we're back to square one, which is you getting an antenna to get your local channels if you've cut the cord. Now, the irony, if you can get a signal at your house with an antenna, and by the way, one thing, if you live in a single-family home and you're afraid of getting up on the roof of your house to put an antenna, there are a lot of sellers now of attic antennas. You can put one up in your attic and get a great signal on local channels in everywhere except rural America. And you're able to watch so much more local programming than you even knew existed. It's crazy how much you can see. So Locast is gone. It's not coming back. Somebody else may come up with some kind of other effort where they uh, set it up lose money on it, just offer it as a nonprofit and are willing to subsidize it to provide local channels and a market. Who knows? That'll be haphazard. Locast was the best attempt there had been to offer not full nationwide, but to a huge amount of the population, local channels that were effortless to watch. 
And so the alternative is if you sign up with some of the streaming services, your local channels come with it. But again, you're paying more money for that than like if you go with something like Sling, who generally doesn't offer the broadcast networks, you get the programming a lot cheaper per month than you do with some of the more expensive things like YouTube TV that do offer the local channels. I'm going to get to some questions. Yep. Jay in Ohio says medical offices, doctors, hospitals, etc. in many states are using a portal called MyChart to schedule appointments, request refills, etc. MyChart requests your social security number to establish an account. Is this legal? Yeah, I'm very, very, very upset about how MyChart requires your social security number to establish an account. It is reckless. It is dangerous that they do that. And my chart, if you have not used it, not familiar with it, it is an appointment system. Uh, it allows you to see your lab or test results, allows you to send messages to your doctor and all the rest. And the registration requiring a social security number is so dangerous since almost half of data breaches in the United States happen involving medical facilities. And Krista, I think that we need to talk to the MyChart people and see if we can get them to discontinue doing what Jay is so rightfully questioned, which is requiring a social security number to register, which is just flat out dumb. And we'll come back with an answer, Jay, on what we hear from them if they'll even talk to us. This is from Greg in Virginia. How are your tests going with Proper and Lending Club? What do you think about the newer one for shorter-term loans called Solo Funds? So first, Prosper and Lending Club, both are um, in kind of like 3.0 for their model. Uh, Lending Club is morphing. They're no longer using peer-to-peer lending as a way to lend money to people. And so with Lending Club, what happens is one of my loans pays off. They then put the money in a savings account for me. And eventually, I'll be able to keep that savings account or just cash out. Um, Prosper, the rate of return that I've been getting with both Prosper and Lending Club declined with each of them. They're not the numbers that I reported on in earlier years as more people have defaulted on the loans. I've still received a decent rate of return with each of them in uh, upper fives with one, lower six with the other. And so it has not been a bad experiment. And for those of you who don't know, I did this, gosh, has it been seven or eight years ago? It's been a good while that I said I would do this where I set up an account with each of them because I was getting so many questions from people about using them as a potential investment vehicle. And so it ended up not being a bust for me and not being a great investment either. So I did just fine, but not outstanding. Now, solo funds is a somewhat controversial way to borrow money. And their whole thing is they're trying to get around any state lending laws by saying that you're paying a tip to the person who lends you money, and a tip to solo funds itself. 
And so you put up that you want money for 30 days. You offer to pay a tip of up to 10%, whatever percent it is. And if you offer a good tip, people are more likely to lend you money. If you don't, they're not as likely to lend you money. So it's just a, a, a gimmick, if you will, to get around state laws. Now, is it a better way to borrow than a payday loan? Based on the analysis I've seen, yes. Is it cheap money to borrow? No. For people on the investor side with solo funds, people are all over the board about saying it's been great for them, they've made good money, and others who've had a number of loans default on them have been very, very upset about it. Know that when you get into lending money to people who are not good credit risks, the odds that someone will, even with the best of intentions, not pay you back are pretty high. So this is not for people who are looking for a sure thing and trying to make more money on their money. This is for people that are willing to take higher levels of risk to make more on their money. Is for a borrower? Eh. Okay, uh, this is from Renee in New Mexico. Two years ago, we bought an emergency backup uninterruptible power supply unit on Amazon. Last night while charging the unit, it caught fire and the lithium cells started exploding. Fortunately, we were home and discovered the fire and were able to put it out, but not until it had destroyed at least $1,000 in tools and equipment. Oh, no. My husband has second-degree burns on his hands and feet. My goodness. The garage is very smoke-damaged, and the house smells like a campground. I checked the order on Amazon after digging found the manufacturers in China. Their webpage only allows for email correspondence. The Amazon page now has a legal disclaimer about fires that was not there when we purchased, leading me to believe that they know about this risk. The product could have burned down our house and even killed us if we'd been sleeping. We will never buy a Chinese-made electronics product again. So Amazon has tried to play both sides of this thing. You know, most goods sold on Amazon are not their goods. They're just like a marketplace, like a supermarket, although they don't really disclose that well when you're shopping. And Amazon, because of the danger to people, there have been terrible incidents. Thank goodness you're both alive, and I hope your husband recovers soon from the second-degree burns that he has. Um, that Amazon caps what they will pay somebody in a case like this is a customer service gesture, $1,000. And that is a recently adopted policy. You should look around to see if there are any lawyers who've been doing these product liability claims against Amazon and see if you may have a cause of action because of the danger involved. Amazon wants to make the money from selling these third-party goods and pretending that you're buying from Amazon with virtually no disclosure you're buying from a third party and then when something does go wrong, they're like, oh, what, what us? Oh, I don't know. I mean, we were just like a place that you bought this, but we don't, we don't warrant it or anything like that. I mean, Amazon is now the second largest retailer in the United States, one of the largest in the world, and they need to step up to the plate like a mature adult company and take more responsibility for what happens when you buy from them. And I'm really, really sorry that this happened. 
I'm really glad that the terrible results were not tragic. And please let me know what you decide to do. If you do decide to find legal counsel that specializes in going after Amazon for these third-party issues, or uh, also just the recovery of your husband, it'd be great to hear about. I want to tell you, if we didn't get to your question, or you want one-on-one advice, you can reach out to our Team Clark Consumer Action Center Monday through Friday from 10 to 4 Eastern, and you can call them at 636-49-CLARK. 